Good afternoon. This is Richard Shu, host of Shu Untied. Uh, today I'm very pleased to have with me as my guest uh, Mark Chandler, who's Senior Vice President and General Counsel of Cisco. Mark, welcome to the show. Thanks, Richard. Great to be with you. So, Mark, let me start by asking you, how long have you been at Cisco? I've known you since your Stratacom days. Well, I joined Cisco as a result of the acquisition of Stratacom, and I've been at Cisco for 20 years and three months now. Now, 20 years by Valley standards is a very long time. Uh, tell me a little bit about, um, maybe start by telling me why you stayed that long, or what are one or two, two or three reasons that you stayed this long. It's a great company. Uh, the growth has been fabulous in the time I've been there. When the Stratacom acquisition happened, there were about 4,000 employees at Cisco and about $5 billion a year of revenues. And today we're a $50 billion company with 70,000 employees, and I've been able to help build the company over a 20-year period, and uh, I've had the great good fortune to work with two chief executive officers who are uh, smart, visionary, and ethical, and that combination has made it a great place to be and hard to imagine how I could do better anyplace else. Mm. Have you ever attempted to try to join another startup or doing something exciting like that? I mean, after all, this is Silicon Valley. You know, there, there, there are two things that, that, would, uh, that would possibly be temptations, and there were a number of opportunities uh, in smaller companies to try to revisit what we'd accomplished at Stratacom and what I'd done earlier in my career. Uh, but it never felt to me that it would provide the platform for some of the larger issues that I enjoy working in as well, that a company this, with the scale of Cisco allows a general counsel to engage in. Uh, a couple of years ago, GM was looking for a general counsel, and that was very tempting because I've always been interested in automobiles, hmm. and I feel that the, what's happening with the Internet of Things and with the uh, uh, transformation of the automobile industry that's going to happen with the move to autonomous vehicles and with new energy technologies makes that a very, very exciting space. But at the end of the day, I felt I could uh, have those engagements at Cisco as well and continue working with the great people that I'm with today. Now, you've got quite a big legal department at Cisco, I understand. Tell me a little bit about how you try to organize and how do you build your team, how do you motivate people. Tell me a little bit, of, tell me a little bit about your management style or what you try to do there. Well, those are all very different questions, <laughs> uh, so I'll try to take them one at a time. Yeah. There's about 350 people in the legal organization, and the first thing I can say about organization is that it's not static. The company changes over time, and I've always viewed a legal department which relative to the size of the company is very small, 350 out of 70,000, but really seeing almost everything that goes on around the company. And if a legal department functions like a boat anchor and just tries to tie people to policies that have always been in place, it can impede the growth of a business. On the other hand, taking that small group, if you look out and see where the business is likely to go, make some good bets and create the ability to have a graceful downgrade, if you will, if, uh, if things don't work out quite that way, you can get ahead of the business and have things in place so that when the business gets there, you're absolutely ready and it's a very smooth transition. But to do that, given the amount of change that we've seen in the industry in the last 20 years, 
has meant reinventing ourselves several times, most recently uh, this year as a result of the new organization that we put in place in the company as a whole. So organizationally, I try to stay very closely aligned to what the business is trying to accomplish and make sure that uh, the key client groups each know exactly who's handling their legal work and that there's a team that knows exactly what they're supposed to do. And as that changes over time, we change as well. And at Cisco, that's meant most recently knowing how to transform to delivering more services, uh, more subscription services, uh, more uh, uh, recurring revenue to the company uh, in, the, in the form of uh, different business models that we haven't done before. And that's been, that's been a very exciting transformation, and we've added groups a couple of years ago focusing on the security marketplace, which is hugely important, as we all know, and on our investments in collaboration uh, on our, and our investments in, in Internet of Things and IoT. Mm-hmm. Uh, in order to uh, structure that, though, what I've tried to do is keep the main focus, much as was necessarily the case when I was at Stratacom, on those aspects of the business that are essential to differentiate ourselves from our competitor, the things that allow us to design, build, and sell products that make people want to do business with Cisco. And that's where 80% of my staff has their work, either doing those transactions or building tools and processes to facilitate getting those transactions done. Then I have much smaller teams of experts working on litigation, on corporate and securities and compliance work. Uh, and uh, and their goal is to hire outside counsel who can handle individual matters where it wouldn't make sense to keep a staff in-house on an ongoing basis. And I put in that category as well some of the more significant human resources policies that we, uh, that we have in place as well involving temp versus regular, exempt versus non-exempt, and, and so forth. Uh, I try to think for everything we do, how can we use technology to improve what we do? Uh, How do we start applying contract building technology and ultimately AI to the way we do our contracting with our customers? How do we build self-service tools Mm. so that the vast majority of uh, employees can get a non-disclosure agreement done without having to talk to the legal department? How do I build a first-class e-discovery lab to drive down the cost of discovery? And then look at things that I can't do that with, like individual small litigation matters or facilities matters, and outsource them completely so that I don't have inside resources that could be closing deals that, that beat our competition, uh, instead working on things that I can find other people to do. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's how I'm organized. That's where I put the resources. To keep people engaged, I try to move them around as much as possible and give people the chance to rotate. I've had 50 people move from the legal department into the business, and the best news is when they want to come back because <laughs> it means they didn't leave because of me. Uh, I try to uh, create opportunities inside the department for people to do very different roles from time to time as well mm. so that uh, they're able to uh, keep themselves intellectually energized and happy and feel useful. How do you manage and prioritize all the things you have to do? Obviously, that's a lot of responsibility. You articulated a lot of different things you could be working on, but h- how do you manage and prioritize what you're going to do? I'd like to say that uh, that I'm less reactive than I am. Hmm. Uh, I tr- have corporate events that help organize what we do in terms of the cadence of earnings and board meetings and uh, filings that we have to do that necessarily require you to, to keep things in a certain program. 
Uh, we also try to stay very closely aligned with what my peers and the executive leadership team are doing in terms of what their objectives are, and that drives a lot of our schedule. But uh, there's an awful lot that happens simply because it comes in every day. It's one of the things I love about the job is that when I wake up in the morning, I have very little idea what I will have worked on by the end of the day. Have you ever thought about uh, a different role, like a business-type role within Cisco, since you know the company so well and you've seen it grow so much? I was having this exact conversation with one of my peers at a very large company in New York last week over lunch, and she was saying she'd been tempted to do that, but she loves what she does, because I wondered, why haven't I done that? Why haven't I pursued it? The answer is I love the team that I've built, the people I work with, my role creates a lot of intellectual stimulation, the chance to really execute on priorities, the chance to make a difference in driving a huge business that's changing the world. Uh, so frankly, I'm just happy doing what I'm doing. Now, one of the things I know you've written a lot about is uh, the way legal, I think law, law firms and legal services are delivered and the pricing and all that. Do you want to talk a little bit about you know, what, what, you know, what you see there and what you'd like to see there and how you'd like to see the legal profession maybe change or how it delivers services or the cost at which it's delivered services, that sort of thing? You know, I'm less worried about cost than I am about alignment of interest. Uh, outside counsel and uh, people working in companies often seem to be speaking very different languages. Mm -hmm. And in fact, uh, the traditional uh, law firm pricing model, which is very rationally built around encouraging people to work hard, and if you work harder, put in more hours, you will earn more pay, right. uh, makes an awful lot of sense as an accounting tool for law firms. It doesn't necessarily make a lot of sense if you're the client. The reason for that is twofold. Uh, first, uh, it can create some perverse incentives for lawyers to not be as efficient as they might be. And some people that we've hired have said they certainly felt that expressed implicitly, if not explicitly, in firms they worked in. Mm. Uh, second, it also doesn't provide a lot of signals for when you've turned over enough rocks. In-house, we're very closely tied to budgets. Predictability is extremely important. And as a result, we're very, very cautious about how we deploy resources and what we're willing to spend on what we're not. So I always look for ways with my outside counsel to structure the arrangements so they're feeling the same financial pressures I am. That doesn't necessarily mean that things are going to cost less, and I certainly don't want to reduce the profitability of my, my outside counsel. But I do want to align the interests so that they naturally will feel the need to stop working on something when the time is right to stop working on it. And do you find that by doing some of the things you're talking about, has that helped? I mean, do you find that the law firms that you work with, I mean, do you think those interests are, are more aligned now? Well, that's a little bit circular because those are the law firms I work with, Richard. <laughs> um, if, the, uh, if the law firm doesn't want to play that way, it's very hard for us to, to find a, a modus operandi that makes sense for us. In general, I think that law firms are quite receptive to uh, structures that create those incentives, uh, as long as you're not trying to make it a zero-sum game where I as the client win and you as the law firm lose, but an alignment of incentives that causes people to find new ways to be efficient and preserve their profitability is a win-win from my point of view. With our M&A counsel, for instance, I've always, uh, where there's a fixed fee to do a certain number of transactions a year, 
I've always encouraged them to come in with ways that we could do the work for less and promise that we would reduce the fixed fee by a lot less than what the savings was and let them keep the difference. Mm. And that's pure profit for them. Mm. Now, do you think, you talked a little bit about how you try to use technology and efficiencies in your workplace to deliver services. Do you think law firms are also doing enough on that from your perspective in terms of using technologies and stuff to be more efficient? Or what's your view on that? Well, the, the smart answer would be to say, well, I think law firms need to buy a lot more stuff from Cisco. <laughs> but in fact, there's a huge investment by law firms in, in technology. Uh, the knowledge management systems that some firms have is very impressive. E-discovery is another area. We've brought down the cost per gigabyte of what we do in discovery from about uh, $2,400 per gigabyte for both uh, processing and production in uh, 2006 to about $11 a gigabyte today for processing and $48 a gigabyte for production. So it's really been a, a orders of magnitude change in the cost. And the law firms are doing this as well. Law firms are making a big investment in outsourcing and finding a more efficient way to deploy human resources as well. I think those pressures are intensely on the law firms as well, and, and they're also doing it. I, I certainly wouldn't say that uh, law firms at least the larger ones that are making these investments are laggards by any means. Mm. As general counsel, what do you enjoy the most? What do you, what do you enjoy most about your job? By far the people. Mm -hmm. uh, when I joined Cisco's legal department, I was the 11th person in the department. And now with 350, virtually everyone in the group is someone that I had a role one way or another in hiring. Mm. Uh, I feel very, very intensely the obligation that I have to having encouraged people to come work for Cisco uh, to make sure that they have satisfying, interesting, useful careers that they are happy about. I, I've said many times to my staff, if in 30 or 40 years, uh, long after I'm gone, uh, some of them are saying to their grandchildren, you know, those, those years I spent at Cisco, they were some of the best years of my life, uh, then I will have done my job well. Mm. And that also works well for Cisco because when, when people are engaged and happy and motivated and, and care about the organization they're a part of and know that that's reciprocated, uh, the engagement and productivity you get is really remarkable and the mm -hmm. things we do are just unstoppable. How do you, how do you try to you know, keep in touch and stay connected with 350 people? Obviously, you can't talk to everybody. You can't interact with everybody. You can't know everything about what everybody's doing. But how, you know, what are some of the ways that you try to you know, keep in touch with such a large group? Well, I do several things. First of all, I, uh, I very regularly record uh, videos, uh, videos on demand for the team uh, every couple of weeks, sometimes stretches out to every month or so, uh, where they watch and see. And that's one-way communication. But I use that as a vehicle to get people engaged because when they've seen something and felt me sort of on their desktop, I get a lot of email back and responses saying, hey, did you know such and such is happening and, and mm -hmm. so forth. We have regional all-hands meetings at least once a year that I go to that are then smaller groups, and I spend several days there uh, in the region or with a specific group and really have the chance to have one-on-one -on -one conversations with, with everybody that way. Uh, I schedule, uh, whenever I'm in a city where we have a team, I schedule a lunch with people. In San Jose, where we have a lot of people, every few weeks, I schedule a lunch with 10 or 12 people who don't report directly to me. Mm. I see my direct reports and talk to them all the time, 
either virtually or, or physically. Uh, but folks who are uh, not direct reports, it's less frequent. So by doing those lunches, in the course of every seven or eight months, I really see everybody who's in San Jose. I see the folks in RTP in North Carolina, in New York, uh, in Herndon, Virginia, outside Washington. Those are larger locations. And then in Europe, I'll be in different cities at different times and make sure I'm sitting down with people, having dinner, having lunch, and so forth. Uh, by no means do I end up seeing everybody that way, but I feel like I really know almost all the people in my department. Hmm. Now, you mentioned that you one time looked at an opportunity at GM. Would you ever think about, you know, maybe doing a startup or maybe go into, you know, some sort of consulting role where you help other companies build their legal departments or, you know, you know, pass along some of the wisdom and experience that you've got, you know, building up a big legal department at Cisco? I love what I do. And <laughs> I, the t I feel very devoted and loyal to the team that I've helped build. Uh, we're going through a tremendous transformation now at Cisco thanks to uh, the fact that our customers now have many different ways of consuming information technology services. And 20 years ago, if they wanted to have information technology, it meant that they bought Cisco equipment from a reseller or directly, and it was in a wiring closet in their facilities, and they had an IT staff to run it. Now they may do that. They may buy a subscription service on the web. They may uh, buy software over time. They may... Uh, want a c consumption model where they pay for equipment as they use it. Uh, they may want a completely cloud-based service. So all of those things are tremendous transformation now in how the business runs. Beyond that, the collaboration technology that we're building, our new Spark platform that if you've downloaded iOS 10, you'll see Spark is now integrated directly into iOS 10 uh, with Apple products. Uh, that change in the way people collaborate and work with each other. What we're doing in smart cities, I'm Cisco's executive sponsor for Washington, D.C., where I, where I live most of the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's remarkable what's going on with parking systems and transportation systems and public security. So uh, I don't have to move companies to have a very dynamic, exciting job that changes all the time. So I'm very lucky that way. Well, Mark, it's been a fascinating conversation. I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule. If you do happen to do something else after Cisco, you'll definitely have to come back and tell me about it. It's a pleasure. I look forward to, to having that opportunity someday. This is Richard Chu and Mark Chandler. Thanks.